Hello, everyone. This is Bill Apter, and I just finished taping an episode of Count It Out with Mike and Tyler, or Tyler and Mike. They're brilliant hosts. You've got to listen. You've got to see. Count it out. Yeah, I endorse it. They've got the after chat seal of approval. This is Rapid Delivery Rory Fox, and you're listening to Count It Out with Mike and Tyler. Well, we are live, pals, and welcome to a very patriotic edition of Counted Out with Mike and Tyler. The Bill Apter sealed of approved Counted Out with Mike and Tyler, that is. My name is Tyler, and I am joined, as always, by Mojito Mike. Mike, how are you doing, brother? Not only am I famous in Mexico, I could be famous on your chest, all over your chest. That's where I like to be on your chest. That get your mind out of the gutter. I'm talking about t-shirts, baby. That's right. We are on prowrestlingtees.com now. Head over there, get your new counted out with Mike and Tyler swag. We got the uh the shirt there with half our faces on it. Who wouldn't want to walk around with our faces on them? Man, already quite a few people obviously wanted. We, we, we sold a decent number in our first week. I'm very happy with it. Yes, thank you to everybody that purchased. And if you haven't purchased, shame on you. Pause this and go buy. Actually, you can keep listening to us while you buy a shirt. <laughs> exactly. Right. If you want to go, if you want to go straight there, go to prowrestlingtees.com slash counted out seven. Very easy, very, very, very you can have it ready to be shipped to you tomorrow in with the click of a button in the next couple minutes. That's right. Uh, and while you're clicking on buttons, please uh, like, subscribe to everything. It really helps us out. We're, we're on the way to 300 subs for YouTube. So help us get there. That'd be fantastic. Absolutely. Um, so big show this week. I said patriotic because we are talking to the Mountie Jacques Rougeau. Finally, I know we've been hyping this one up for a couple of weeks. Uh, probably about a month ago, I sat down with Mr. Rougeau. We're going to talk about uh, a whole bunch of stuff on the week that he pinned Hulk Hogan as well. That's uh, that was about 20 years ago, 97. Uh, and you know what? We've been sitting on this interview for a bit. And I think it all uh, is everything happens for a reason. We were sitting on this, not for this reason, but I guess it all works out that by the time we were able to put it out as of today, the day we're recording, this is the day in history, uh, April 11th, that he pinned Hulk Hogan. That's right. So, uh, and uh, we have a great clip of that. If you can't uh, wait for the interview to <laughs> on our, you well, bless your soul. Excuse me. Excuse bless your me. soul. Uh, yeah. I can't wait. You know, Jacques talks about his whole career in WWF. We get some great Montreal stories, Andre, the giant stories. Uh, great, great time. We had talking to Jacques. I can't wait for you to hear it. I know you haven't listened to it yet. 
And he's um, got a new t- a new TV show uh, or a new. Um, is it a TV show? Is that exactly what it is? They're still figuring out if it's going to get picked up on TV. But he's got the Jacques okay. Rougeau Wrestling Academy coming out with QT Marshall. Uh, we talk all about it in the interview. Uh, really fun stuff. We hear from Bret Hart. Comments from Bret Hart. Comments from QT Marshall. So uh, some I'll- of our some of our friends and favorite uh, indie guys are involved in this. So please check yeah, that. Yeah, Clay in Wilson when it comes around. Clay Wilson, Jody Threat are involved with this. Matthew Grant, I believe. Friend- Friend of the show, uh, Jeremy Prophet. Jeremy Prophet, that's right. And of course, the All Ontario Cup winner at the Count Out Seven bracket, Clutch Jesse V, all involved with this project. So Got support it, right? all of this. It's going to be good. Speaking of support, uh, before we get to the interview, because uh, you and I are going to talk after this, uh, some really, really awful news coming out uh, from one of our good friends uh, and, and a longtime friend of the show, the one and only Rory Fox. Unfortunately, he ripped his quad off the bone, suffered a terrible injury. Um, he's not going to get his match with Matt Cardona. That was just announced. That's 13 years in the making. This uh, guy has been talking about nothing but this match with Matt Cardona, as long as we've known him. You know what I mean, and we we we've become a little close with with Rory over the last two years, and uh, he's be quickly become not only one of our favorite indie guys, but one of our favorite guys. Like he's mm-hmm. such a he's such a down to earth dude. He's he doesn't play that whole hey man, I used to be on WWE. He doesn't give a shit. You know, uh, he's such a cool guy. Um, a worse thing couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Yeah, you know, Rory, we're all thinking of you, man. We're hoping for a successful and a speedy recovery. If you guys are able to, please support Rory. You know, he's going to miss work now, you know, because he, he wrestles. He still wrestles on a part-time, borderline full-time basis. But, you know, he's still working a, a normal job as well. And as we all do, you know, it's uh, it's tough. The world's tough out there. And unfortunately, he's going to miss time for that. Um, please, guys, if you're able to. Donate to his GoFundMe campaign. Just type in Roy Fox GoFundMe. It will come up. Uh, buy a T-shirt on Pro Wrestling Tees. Help him out. Um, direct message him. Get an autograph, picture, anything that you guys are able to do to help out Rory Fox. Uh, Mike and I are trying to think of some fun ideas that we can help out as well. Listen, we we, we did something for Lufisto a, a while back when she was having some troubles. Uh, there's no reason why we wouldn't do something for, for a good friend like Rory. So we keep keep tuned here. We will think of something uh, in the next week or two. Uh, and uh, we will be putting it up on countingout7.com in our, uh, in our uh, uh, charity page uh, w- w- that we have there. So we will be doing something for our good friend Rory. Absolutely. And, and Rory, if you are listening to this, man, we love you over here. We, we hope for the best for you, speedy recovery. And, uh, you know, just grind this one out, man, because you're going to come back better than everybody. We know it. Uh, you know, all the best to Rory Fox. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, there's no positive segue. Usually I pride myself on, uh, on being the segue guy, as you guys heard last week. But uh, I don't have a segue for this, man. But uh, what do you think? You, you, ready to pee? you ready to let the people in and, and hear this interview with Jacques? Rizzo? I'm ready to get in. It's, you, you did this interview like two months ago, and I still haven't heard it. Yeah, well, then, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, uh, here's my conversation with the Mountie, Jacques Rougeau. Ladies and gentlemen, what an exciting episode we have for you today. We are joined by one of the most famous Canadian families of all time. He is a former WWF Intercontinental Champion, 
a former two, three, or four-time tag team champion, depending on how you believe the first Montreal screw job went. He is a Mountie. He is one of my personal favorites, Mr. Jacques Rougeau. Jacques, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, how you doing, Tyler? Thanks for having me on your show. Uh, I'm so honored to have you here. You are one of the biggest legends in all of Canada. The amount of respect that we have for you on our show and your entire family cannot be put into words. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. Thank you. So there's so much stuff to talk about with you, but I kind of want to start with what you're working on right now, because I think you have this amazing project going on right now. The Jacques Rougeau Wrestling Academy is going to be coming about uh, the spring of 2022. Is that where you're looking at there? Yeah, yeah. Month of May. Month, month of probably May. around the month of May, yeah. So can you tell our listeners what exactly it is that you're doing here and just the, this amazing thing that you're doing to give back to the business and, and help shine a light on some great talent in Canada? Well, you know, it's a, it all started with a show up in Montreal called Star Academy, which was for singers. And, you know, they had a competition where they would eliminate singers and go to the end. And, uh, and I'm very inspired by music and life. And, uh, and then I started thinking, wow, what a great deal if we did that with wrestling, you know. And uh, so I started uh, reaching out across Canada to the talent. And I'm putting what I'm doing is called Wrestling Academy 2022. If those want to follow us, it's wrestling-academy.ca. And uh, it's a competition where there's 42 uh, participants, men and women, which are going to be uh, in a 12-week show. And, uh, and every show, from show to show, there's going to be four that's going to be eliminated. And uh, the last uh, four that are left are going to win $5,000 each. And they're going to have a chance to go at the Nightmare Factory with QT Marshall for, uh, for three months. They have a, a session for three months. And it's so funny because when I approached QT Marshall about eight months ago, the only thing I wanted was, was one day. I wanted to, my talent to go down there and to be evaluated in the ring, out of the ring, a microphone and everything, and to see if they had potential to make it in the big leagues. And as we went along, as we showed podcasts, I did podcast over podcast around the planet. Uh, QT Marshall started getting some calls from, like, and, and then he called me, said, hey, Jacques, uh, what are you doing? He says, I'm getting all these calls at the Nightmare Factory. And he says, this is great. So he says, listen, he says, why, why instead of just giving you one day, to your winners, why don't we go ahead and give them a week? So I went crazy. I started writing all my talent across Canada and saying, hey, we got a week now. You know, QT Marshall likes the deal. And just two weeks ago, he, he, he did another promo for me, which I think you have with you. I'm not sure if you have it. Yeah, well, as but, soon as you finish your point, I'm going to play it right, right immediately. Okay, so, 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 you know, we're supposed to go for, we went from one day to one week, and then he just sent this video. You can go ahead and send it and listen carefully to what he just gave us now. Okay, we're gonna play that right now. Hey everybody, this is QT Marshall from All Elite Wrestling and one of the owners of one of the best training facilities in the world, the Nightmare Factory. And I wanted to give a quick shout out to Nick who runs a Rise podcast and this evening has Jacques Rougeau on there. And Jacques has a great project in the works. I'm excited about it. In fact, the Nightmare Factory has even uh, told Mr. Rougeau that the winners of this project will receive a special three month, 12 week scholarship to the Nightmare Factory, which has seen athletes from all over the world come train with us. And, and honestly, some have signed contracts with major wrestling organizations in the world, such as AEW and stuff like that. So um, I'm excited for this project. I think it's a great for, for aspiring professional wrestlers all throughout Canada. Um, I support it and I hope that if all works out well, I'll be able to come up to Montreal 
and partake in being one of the judges of this of this special project. So good luck to everyone. Just wanted to say hello. Just wanted to let everybody know that it is me um, and we are offering this scholarship to the winners. So um, you can read into it, whatever you want, but you've heard it straight from the horse's mouth. It is true. And again, good luck to everyone and hopefully see you soon. Wow. I mean, isn't that amazing? Three months. Now that changes the whole game now because QT Marshall, by offering three months to the four winners, you know, when it was one day, I always told myself, you know, a lot of talent's going to be nervous to go down there because you don't have a second chance to make a first impression. And, you know, I was saying people are going to go there and they're going to have a dry throat. They're going to be so nervous and intimidated. And then when he gave me a week, I said, wow, that's awesome. Because if you mess up on Monday, you got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday to make up. But now three months, this changes everything because I think QT Marshall is now taking this project like his own pet project. And, and you know, so he's really putting a lot into it. To put three months, you know, there's four winners. That's $18,000 US that he's giving me for the contest. And plus three months of his time and knowledge and everything else. So that what that means, I always said to myself, there's two ways that you could, two things you need to get in the business. Like in hockey and everywhere else, sometimes it's not, how good you are, but it's who you know. And the second th second thing I always thought in my business is that being at the right place at the right time. Absolutely. So if they spend three months with QT Marshall there, where all the uh, AEW wrestlers come and train every day, and then and many superstars go train there, so my talent eventually are going to become friends with these guys, you know. And so the, and QT is going to really take a liking out of all these these personalities that are going to be there. So so it's going to give really give them a good chance. If they, if they behave well and if they're nice to Cutie, I honestly think now at this point that maybe a couple of my four winners could make it to the big league. So that's just amazing. And this project is, is so good because the way we're going to do this is uh, we're not going to be judging uh, the contest by winners or losers because we're going to get in the dressing room early that morning. We're going to flip a coin. And, and then whoever goes over, then the other guy is going to take 60% of the match because I want to make sure that the, their value, their marketing value stays good, whether you win or lose. It's all going to be judged morely on your, techno your technique, uh, your ability in the ring, your, uh, your microphone, how you're good on the mic, your charisma, you know, and, and, and that's very, very important. So, so all, you got three judges around the ring at each show that we're going to have. They're going to judge at 40%. They're going to judge, but at 60%, this is amazing. From Australia, from, from, from Italy, from Europe, from anywhere in the world, people will be able to pick up their phone and text in to see nice. who they want to keep and who they want to get rid of. I love and it. Also, it's going to be an interactive thing. And, 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 and it's amazing because uh, uh, there's only four winners out of this contest. But like I always said, they're all winners because for the last eight months, their video has been up. QT Marshall has been checking the talent. Everybody around the world that I've been doing podcasts are checking the talent. So they're making a name for themselves right now for the last eight months. So there's going to be no losers. But you know what? For me, it would be such an amazing thing that two of my talents makes it to the big leagues. And, and, and that would be the I think it's just for me, it's just passing the torch now. Mm. It's just it's let, and helping everybody. And, and, it's, and there's so many things that are involved. Like a, a lot of the people, if you're my Facebook friends, you'll see a lot of newspaper ads and interviews on the radio with all my talent. I'm booking them with all the, the, the connaissance that I have in, in the business. And, and so they're making these great articles on these people that are living a dream. I have one guy in St. Sophie, not far from here, uh, 
Yane Harrison, who he did three interviews this week. He was never seen nowhere. And and, and one of the newspapers is going to be delivered right in his mailbox. Oh, that's so amazing. you know, imagine in his own little town, he's going to be like a hero. So everything that we're doing about this contest is, is just amazing. Well, we definitely are going to be cheering for some of our local favorites as well. Uh, Clay Wilson is in the competition. Clutch yes, Jesse sir. B is a monster. We love him. Uh, and oh, I'll definitely yeah. be bringing those guys on the show to talk about everything. Jody Threat is another one. She is oh, a fantastic yeah. she talent. She's good. She's so good. You've got There's some all of the potential winners there. You have all the potential winners. And and, uh, so it's, and we're working right now on a TV deal also in Quebec. So not Amazing. only it's going to be on my platform and YouTube around the world, but it's going to be hopefully on TV. We're, we're having a second meeting with this production company, which we talked to about a couple of weeks ago. And we told them, hey, let us know if you're interested or not. And and now they called us just yesterday and they texted us, said, we'd like to meet again. So, so, that's, so that's a good sign. you know. Nothing's... We need to get that on TV so I can have a show to watch with my girlfriend that's not American mm-hmm. Idol, you know? <laughs> this is for me. <laughs> yeah. This is for me. Um, so so it's, it's really a great, great thing. And, and the one thing that's also very, very fun is uh, the last show, there's going to be eight contestants left. And it's going to be a one girls match, one males match, and one tag team match. It's like that almost on every show. So there'll be four against four, actually, in three different matches. But QT Marshall... He's going to come and he's going to be the judge on the last show. Oh, nice. So he's going to be there to crown the four winners. And then he's taking them down for three months to this nightmare factory, which is one of the greatest, greatest schools in North America. Absolutely. So what a great opportunity. And, uh, and the other thing, too, that's fun about this project, a lot of independent companies in Canada of wrestling, they don't know each other. So now by doing this contest, everybody subscribes and following this thing. So now one day... They're just going to go click on my wrestling-academy.ca and they'll see example Jordy Taylor in Vancouver and they'll look at him and wow, and this promoter's in Halifax, the other end of the country completely. They'll say, hey, this guy's talent. I like him. Why don't we reach him? So they're going to pass to me. I'm going to pass the phone call to them and hopefully I'll be able to get some bookings also for different territories, for different local people in Indies. Uh, you know, I can just see the excitement coming through and hear it in your voice. And, and it's got me pumped up for this, too. This is a really amazing thing that you're doing, John. Well, you know, there's and the, the, the fun about this, too, is like, you know, we all have idols in life. I have idols and, and people that I look up to. And, and, and if you go on, on my, my website, if, sorry if I say it again, wrestling-academy.ca, I won't say it enough because uh, you have you could go see all the contestants, but you're also going to go see the old timers like me. And there's a bunch of them that are giving good words of encouragement. So, mm-hmm. so those, those guys that are in the ring, you're all talking about Clay Wilson, all those guys, Jody Threat and, and Johnny V. Uh, they grew up watching these superstars like Coco Beware, uh, uh, Jake the Snake. Uh, you got uh, Ricky Steamboat. You got Tito Santana, the Million Dollar Man, Lanny Poffo. You got MMA, George St. Pierre. Mm-hmm. You know, you get you have different you get singers, you got different eras, different uh, organizations or or entertainment that are joining in this and, and wishing good luck to all the Canadian wrestlers. So so take the time, uh, you fans out there, and, and and go see how it's fun to be motivated by tugboats on there. Yeah. Boop, boop. Ronnie you know Garvin, one of my personal favorites. Ronnie, biggest feuds we have in Montreal is my brother Raymond and I against the, the Garvins. Oh, I can't Jimmy wait. We're gonna we're gonna talk <laughs> a lot of that in detail because that's one of my favorites. So all this to say that uh, what great motivation for these young talent that are going on the website and they're seeing all these guys that are talking like Bret Hart. I think you have a video of Bret. Maybe we could show that too. That's incredible. You know what? What better time to do it than right now? All right, thank you. Hey, this is Brett the Hitman Hart, and I want to wish all the best 
to Jock Rougeau and his Wrestling Academy 2022. I know they got a big event coming up, a big contest and a great opportunity for wrestlers across Canada, men and women, to train and maybe win $5,000 and ultimately get a chance to train with QT Marshall and the Nightmare Factory and maybe get a chance to maybe wrestle for AEW. But all I know is this is a great opportunity for every young wrestler. And I want to just thank Jock Russo for putting the idea together. I hope it works out really well and may the best wrestlers win. Wow. That's Bret Hart, man. The best there is, best there was, best there will be. Not too, not too good to beat you, though, because you took the IC title from him. Yeah, but let's be honest now. He's the most iconic wrestler that ever came out of Canada. Fair. And, you know, and, and for him to encourage all these young wrestlers like that, it means a lot. We're talking about credibility now. QT Marshall saying, hey, come on for three months. Bret Hart saying, go, guys, go, guys. I have Jake the Snake on there, too. It's amazing all the talent that are wishing good luck. to. So, uh, so yes, uh, Bret Hart, we have a long, long history. And uh, I remember when I came in in 1986 with my brother Raymond, we actually started wrestling against the Hart Foundation, Jim Dianville Neidhart with Jimmy Hart as their manager for two years around the world. And then finally we turned heels and then we became the All-American boys and, and, and then they turned babyface. So we worked another two years against them around the world. So And plus Brett, I worked with him for the Intercontinental title where I don't know if you remember that, if you've seen this, but at one point he doesn't want to give me a title shot. So I'm outside of the ring and I'm asking him, why is it not a title shot? And I keep bugging him. I don't want to get a ring. So finally I tell him, I said, come out of the ring and tell me to my face why this is not a title match. So he comes out in the front and he gets the mic off of me and he goes to speak. And, and then he calls me a jailbird, you know, because I just finished the run with the big boss, man. So that's why I'm not giving you because you're a jailbird. And then Jimmy Hart comes with a pail of water and he shoots it on him. He's soaking wet. And then I come in with my zapper and I zap the hell out of him. And wow, what a, a moment. You talk about a great moment in wrestling for me and Brett. And, uh, but then, you know, when I took the title from him, I got to be honest with you, I am the shortest live reign of the Intercontinental. I only had it for two days. But what's amazing about that, Tyler, is I, everywhere I go for Comic-Cons around the world, all the time for the last 30 years, they always have pictures of me signing where the Intercontinental title is around my waist. 100%. And I only had it for two days. So, so it's amazing how it stuck with me and, and people remembered that character. It was an awesome character. Oh, it was fantastic. And I, I want to talk about that in great detail. And, and before I get into that a little bit, though, I want to go back even a little bit further because I'd love to talk about uh, your time in Montreal. Um, you know, and you mentioned it, your feud with the, uh, with, with Ronnie Garvin and, and Jimmy Garvin. Uh, what was it? It was called the St. John true. Baptist Day Massacre, right? Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. The Massacre de Saint-Jean. That was awesome. You know, we had a match with them scheduled the Montreal Forum in front of 18,000 people. And Precious, their manager, a blonde lady that came with, she had a can of spray in her hand. She came in front of me before the match trying to just to distract me. And then finally she, she, she shot some spray into my eyes. And I, I just couldn't see anything after that. And that was, so Raymond was stuck in the middle of the ring and they both jumped him. And then my father tried to come and help him. And then they beat up my dad, you know, and uh, Ronnie Garvin took him. Uh, actually, Jimmy Garvin took my dad in a Boston crab. And then Ronnie Garvin went up the top rope and gave a knee drop in the back of my father. And I was burning my eyes in the meantime. What an angle. And we never had a match. The match never started. Yeah. There was never a match. And the people were really pissed at the Garvins. And then about 20, a month later, it was on the, the Saint-Jean-Baptiste Day, they called it the massacre, where me and Raymond came in in the best shape of our lives. And we kicked some butts. Yeah. But it was 
such a great feeling in front of our fans. And But they were such talented uh, wrestlers. And plus it was the brother team against the brother team. You know, it meant so much. And what great work is. And as a matter of fact, Ronnie Garvin, like you said, he's doing a video. If you go on my website, you'll see the video where he's encouraging all the Canadian wrestlers. And what a great guy. I think Ronnie Garvin is probably one of the most underrated wrestlers of all time. The hands of stone, his matches with exactly. flair, like people just kind of <laughs> let him slide under the radar. And I want him to get some more love in this business because I don't think I've ever seen him have a bad match. Never, never. And you know what? You, you, you talk about the hands of stones, but it was really the, 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 the slaps of stones too. I'll tell you because me and him, we had some chop matches, boy, I'll tell you. Oof. And like, like with Greg, the hammer Valentine, I remember those days we used to chop each other to death. You know, and just having those blood come out of the clots, and and but but Ronnie Garvin, definitely one of the most the, the the shortest. You know, he's a short guy. He's not a big guy, but a machine, and he always kept coming and short but muscular and then and strong and very con, very believable. And 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 people believed in him as a tough guy, unlike Jimmy uh, Garvin, who was more like a an artiste, you know, yeah, the pretty boy <laughs> with the hair, yeah, right? Pretty, exactly, yeah. But Ronnie, the hands of standing, what a great, great worker, and and, and I love that guy, yeah, I really do. Well, another really famous match that you guys had in, in that time period too was with another couple of real believable guys, the Road Warriors. What was it like being yep. in there with those guys during their? That was their heyday when you know Iron Maiden, Iron Man coming out, like crazy stuff. Paul Ellering was with them. It was like, a, you know, it, it was like, a, how can I say that? It was like, we knew, of course, we're in the business. We knew it was a work. You know, we knew that that, that, that everything was pre-planned and stuff. But the road warriors were so intimidating, you know, and, 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 and the, the office, they build them so big in the eyes of the talent. Like, you know, hey, these guys are coming in there. And you got to put these guys over strong and you'll see that it's a, it's a new era and this and that. So we were so intimidated when we got in the ring. The first match I had with them was with my my brother, Armand, my other brother. Okay. And, and they took care of me in the match. But, they, but, but, but you know, they, they really they didn't rough him up. But boy, Armand was happy when the match was over. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and then I had a match with Joe LeDuc and tag team against the Road Warriors. And then but they always respected me, the Road Warriors. But but to be honest with you. They were scary in the eighties when they came in. They were they were just so special, and all the there was a new era of the steroids and the and and so it's like they they you'd get in the ring and you'd see my little uh, eighteen and a half inch arms, you know, and uh, which was big for 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 a normal guy. But when you'd get into the ring with these guys and the, and the picks coming out of the coming out of their shoulder there and and ooh what a rush <laughs> that thing. Boy, I swear, I swear, I was a little afraid of him, you know, especially Hawk. Animal oh. was cooler, but Hawk was like, uh, he was in his own world. Yeah, the wild <laughs> it man. Was very, very intimidating to work against. Uh, and you guys had some great matches. Uh, so when I was doing my research for this, uh, I had something I didn't know, but did you spend some time in Stampede Wrestling during the really early days in your career with Stu? And that's when I started. And actually, my first territory, you know, it's funny because I'd start wrestling around the age of 15 years old in little backyard, you know, maybe 50 people, 100 people. And then when I got to the age of 17, I decided it was time for me to hit the road. And I remember telling my dad, hey, I think I'm going to go to Calgary. You know, I think I'd like to go to Calgary. There's a territory there and stuff. And uh, so my dad had looked at me and he says, are you serious? Soaking wet, you weigh about 180 pounds. You know, so it says, you're not ready for this. And I said, yeah, I'm ready, Dad. I'm a high flyer. You know, I'm I'm not a big monster, but I'm, I'm good in the ring. And so finally, uh, 
and my father didn't agree with it. So I went to see my mom without my dad knowing. And I borrowed $500 from my mom. And I called Stu Harda. And it was so funny because when I called Stu, his father, I said, uh, I said, uh, Mr. Hart? And he says, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's this there? Uh, and I said, uh, well, it's, it's, it's Jimmy Rougeau, you know, Jacques Rougeau, but I, my English name is Jimmy. I said, Jimmy Rougeau, hey, uh, are you... Uh, are you a part of? Are you part of that uh, that that Rougeau family there, uh, J -J Jock and uh, J Johnny? Uh, and, and I said, yeah, yeah, it's my father, my uncle. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll try you out there. And uh, so, so I, I took the five hundred dollars of my mom, <laughs> and I flew to Calgary, and I stayed at the Saint Regis Hotel where all the Indians and the whores were living at. It was a <laughs> but I had to get something that was cheap, you know, to survive. And it wasn't my kind of life at all, but that was the only place where I'd pay like, a, I think it was like $115 for the whole week, you know, so so I had to pay trans and everything. So, but then Brett was just driving the bus at the time. He wasn't even wrestling yet. He wasn't into wrestling. And um, what a great, great territory because he had so much respect for my dad's too. And, and, uh, and at the beginning, I thought, because on Sundays, you know, when we had a day off on Sundays, he was inviting me to go eat at his house with the, the, I think it was 15 kids. I don't know, yeah. many, there's a lot of them. And it was like, so, and about 20,000 cats. But anyway, so we got into the house and, and uh, he would always invite me on the, on the Sunday to go have a lunch. But then I realized after a while that uh, every, every time we'd finish lunch, you know, or he'd say, uh, you know, uh, you should come downstairs. Uh, we, got a, we got a little dungeon down there and uh, we could see how you, 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 you take care of yourself there. And I was going, and I'm an artist, you know, I never was a fighter in life. I, so I, I was always avoiding the dungeon downstairs. I never made it downstairs. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> yeah, that's what I heard. But anyway, but what a great man and what a great family. And, uh, and, and so that was my first territory. I went at the age of 17 years old, actually in 77. I was born in 60. So 77, I went there for about three months. And, uh, and then from there, I came back to Montreal. And then I went back in 78 for another three months. And then from there, I went to Mexico at the wow. age of 18. And then I went to, uh, I started on the road doing all small territories. I went to Kansas City. I was going to Knoxville for the Fullers, the Grahams, Florida, and uh, Pensacola for the Fullers. And then TBS with Ole Anderson and Tommy Rich and, and the Wahoo McDaniel and Thunderbolt Patterson. And so I always went from territory. But, but, but you know, you never forget your first territory. And, and, and I remember Kazavubu, you probably don't know who he is, and Oki Shakina and John Foley, guys that were there, like veterans that were there, at the, the Patty Ryan, I'm trying to think of all the guys that was there, uh, Hubert Galan, and, uh, but there was so much good talent, but friendly talent, you know, so, so it was a great place to start to, to really enjoy wrestling and to, to love what you're doing. And I'll always be, I'll always be thankful and grateful to, the, to Stu uh, for what he did to me. Yeah, Stu, we just love hearing Stu Hart uh, stories. And your impersonation is up there with one of the best that we've heard on the show so far. So uh, that was pretty bang on. That was pretty bang to, on. I used to laugh at it so much when he wasn't there. I used to laugh at it so much. <laughs> I said, wow, this guy's a character, you know. But, but, uh, but it was awesome. And uh, it really was. Well, and you've worked with some of the best promoters of all time. You know, you mentioned Stu there. And, of course, probably the biggest promoter in the history of wrestling is Vince McMahon. What are some of your favorite stories about being around Vince and, and how did you and your brother end up over in the WWF? 
Well, you know, they they were recruiting and they were trying to get the best talent of all the territories and all the provinces and uh, all the countries. And so uh, so we were lucky to be chosen there. And uh, I remember the limousine picking us at the airport uh, in LaGuardia. And then we went to uh, Stamford, Connecticut to meet Vince. And I'll never forget the, the, the time where... Uh, we were sitting there and I had the, if I finally got the nerves to ask him, like, you know, after listening, listening, listening to him, what he was proposing to us. And then I put my mind together and then I asked him, I said, uh, what, what are your plans with us, Vince? And then he looked at me and he says, uh, the sky is the limit. And it was so funny because when he said that, the sky is the limit. Me and Rimmer are going like, wow, like this is like a, an actor going to Hollywood. You know, this is big time. And then I realized down the road there that a lot of guys were told the sky was the limit. <laughs> but, uh, but, but at the time, it was just amazing. And uh, he was very, very, very impressive to be around. He was a very, very smart man. And, uh, and, uh, and he was a businessman. He, he knew how to make you feel good. He knew. Uh, so so uh, when it was good, it was good. Absolutely. And, you know, we always hear about the famous Montreal screw job with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. But a lot of people don't know there's a Montreal screw job before that involving you, your brother and the Hart Foundation. I, I just kind of learned about this myself a, a couple of weeks ago. And, and it's unbelievable. I had no idea. Can you tell the story? What, what happened? Yeah, and I'll tell you the story and remind me to tell you that it happened to Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty in Texas, too. So, right. so I'll, I will get in case you didn't know that. But but what happened was like uh, they came to Hearts into Montreal and they wanted to give a little candy to the Montreal fans. So so it's like they, me and Raymond, we beat the Hart Foundation, became the world tag team champions. And we were baby faces. We had just come in in the territory. So it was really for, it was like winning a Stanley Cup against the Maple Leafs in Toronto. <laughs> but anyway, it was, it, was, it was awesome. There was 18,000 people that were going nuts. People were banging on my car on the way out. And I remember at the time, my ex-wife, she kept saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I said, don't worry, honey, they love us. Don't worry. But they were banging my car so hard. And, and, and what happened is uh, about three days later, uh, they put a little, little article in the Montreal newspaper because there's 8 million people that live in Quebec at the time. And so they put a little, little article that says because of the megaphone or because the wrong guy was in the ring, the hearts remain champions. Mm. So about maybe 100,000 people saw that article, but all the 7,900,000 who didn't see it, they couldn't wait to watch on Saturday on TV to see the Rougeos come out with the belts, you know, to represent Quebec around the world. And here comes the hearts with the belts and they never even acknowledged the fact that we won. Now, that was a screw job in Montreal, yeah. but yeah. it wasn't a screw job to us. It was to the fans. You know what it was? Like? And, and then someone told me, as I was speaking about, about in a podcast recently, they told me that Shawn Michaels and, and Marty Jannetty had the same thing. Yeah, so they that's did right. It, they, did, they just didn't do it here. They did it a, a bunch of places, probably. And that's bad business. That hurts it's the market, really right? I'm sorry? Would that hurt the market? You're kind of well, disappointing sure the fans sure, like that, yeah, right? Yeah, I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. But, you know, they figured, oh, they'll come around. They'll come around. But it, it hurt more me than it hurt the, the market. Because, you know, I think that Raymond and I, we had great talent together in the ring. Mm -hmm. And I also think that we were well deserving of getting those titles. Maybe if it's only for two months, I don't care. But at least give us the chance to make our people proud in Montreal, Quebec, you know, and in Quebec that we represent them with the fleur de lis, you know, the blue flag that we have on our, the blue uh, sign that we have on our flag. And, and, uh, and, and it wouldn't have hurt them nothing. 
to oh. let us have it for two months. So, so that was a, yeah, that was a real screw job in Montreal. Because Shawn Michaels doesn't come from here and Brett doesn't come from here. And they called it the screw job in Montreal. But to be honest with you, the really screw job was that one there. And, and it was a very disappointed moment uh, when people got on TV, not only because that the hearts didn't acknowledge that, that, that we had beat them. It's more like they insulted the people's intelligence. Yeah. And, and that's where it hurt a lot. Well, and even for you as well, you know, you mentioned earlier, you had the Intercontinental title for only two days and people still talk about it today. The titles were really, really valued back at that time. And, you know, just saying that you and your brother were tag team champions really ups your, your ante as well, right? Absolutely. Our, our merchant value. And, 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 but the good thing about the two day switch with the Intercontinental title is that Brett, who didn't want to drop the title to Piper, then they used me as an intermediate. You know, for two days. But the good thing about it is um, when that it was a pay-per-view. So, you know, so when I got on the pay-per-view against Piper, I was the intercontinental champion. And, and like I said, now I go in Comic-Cons around the world. I go to signatures for the last 30 years. And everybody comes up to me with either a doll or a picture where I have the intercontinental title. And Absolutely. I only have it for two days. That's incredible. <laughs> So it would have helped us to Raymond and I to have had the titles maybe for a couple of months. And then we would have had all our dolls and everything that we'd have with the belts. But but that happened with Pierre Carlet later as the Quebecers. Yeah. I had that opportunity. But but it would have been great with Raymond because I don't think as of today that to, that that there's a better team, a brother team than my brother Raymond and I. Uh, and, absolutely. And we we I was in the ring and and Raymond, we'd been working 10 years together before coming to the WWF. So for, for me, it was so easy. I didn't even have to look behind me if I was doing a double team. So I knew Raymond where he was. I felt where he was because that was a brotherly sense that we had together. Yeah. And, uh, but it was a great run with my brother Raymond. We had like a four years together in the WWF. So that was, that was awesome. Well, and you guys were so fluent in the ring, especially when you were being a baby face. But I, I think you guys really hit your stride when you got paired up with Jimmy Hart. And you're doing the uh, the All American Boys, which great theme song, by the way. Um, we don't like heavy metal. We don't like rock and roll. All, all we, we like, like to listen to is Barry Manilow. Manilow. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the that best was, songs. You know, up till today, I was in Wisconsin last week in Minneapolis. Atlanta went to Wisconsin for a for a nice uh, WrestleCon, and everybody where I go. We don't like heavy metal. We don't like rock and roll. They, they, they say it's the greatest song of all the songs. That's their favorite one, you know? I'm sure they tell Brett it's his favorite and everybody else, but they really remember that theme song that was, that was it was all Jimmy Hart. Because oh, you know, I, at the time in the, in the 80s, Jimmy Hart wrote all the music of all the boys. Yeah. All the music. So, so he, was, he was in a group in the 50s called the Gentries, yeah. like a real professional group where he was on the soul train and TBS and you could see him across the country. And so he knew music and, and, and that was a great asset for us to have Jimmy Hart. I, I say Jimmy Hart today. I always say it. He is the best manager that ever existed. And, and by far, not by far for the fans, because the fans, they say, oh, well, Bobby Eden, Mr. Fuji, but by us. And now I'm going to tell you why I'm going to justify what I'm saying here. If you take Bobby, the brain Heenan, you know, he was smart. He'd get on an interview. He says, I know, and I know what my guy's going to do. And I, and then you get Mr. Fuji. Ah, Mr. Fuji. But Jimmy Hart, he would never talk about himself. He would always say, let me tell you something. My man here is like this, and my man is like that. And for a wrestler that has a manager who, who, who values you so much and makes you feel so like, hey, 
Jimmy, you're making me feel like I'm, I'm really that person that you're talking about. He never talked about himself. And, and so, so that's the best asset of a manager because when I go everywhere, uh, I was, like I said, last, last week I was with Jimmy in Wisconsin. And, 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 and he introduced Greg the Hammer Valentine that was there. And, and uh, yay, whoa, Bushwhacker Luke. And, and then he said the Mountie, I came in and he introduced me as a Mountie. And I took the microphone and in front of all the people that were there, I just told them what I told you two minutes ago. I explained to them that he's the greatest manager of all time. And then I told them why. Yeah. And then when I told them why, that he was never him. It was always, he always wore a suit that would dress the, like for us, it was uh, the Quebec flags. And yeah. For, for Dino was a Canadian. He always made the, you feel important. Like you were the, and, and people, when I started saying that in Wisconsin last week, they were going like, and they start realizing it's true. Jimmy never said I'm this. I'm, it's always so, you know, for a wrestler. And that's why when I had him as a manager one time for two years with Raymond, that was one of the conditions when I came back as the Mountie. I said, I want Jimmy Hart as my manager. It's smart. Because, because he will make me look good. He's the one who makes me look good. And the cool thing about Jimmy, too, because I've had the privilege, the privilege to meet him a few times myself, and he's the most humble, nicest human being you can meet. And if you take a look at his career, you know, all the stuff with Andy Kaufman in Memphis, his huge run with with Hogan and with you guys and the WWF, like he, if he had a head that was this big, I would be like, that's cool. You've earned it. And you would never know all the cool stuff he's done. He's just such a humble, genuine guy. And when I was in the ring last week in Wisconsin and I, get, I praised him in front of everybody. He turned red. He felt so bad. And then he told me after, he said, Jacques, don't do that. Don't do that anymore. Like, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable. What a great guy. What a great, humble guy, like you said. And he deserves he, he deserves so much more than a lot of people in the WWF. 100% he does. And you guys were having so much fun. I love the gimmick that you guys did about wanting to be the All-American Boys. You know, because you, <laughs> you get heat everywhere at that point. Because us Canadians, we're mad at you because you're leaving us and you don't want to be here. And everyone in the States is going, well, we don't want you either. Like, how, whose idea was that? It was genius. That, that was amazing. And you know what was amazing? The promos we were doing a lot. Like, uh, like you know, it was, a, it was a Thanksgiving day. You know, and then we'd say, uh, hi, I'm Jacques. And I'm Raymond. And we're the fabulous Rougeau brothers. And we want to wish you a good Thanksgiving holiday. But it was Independence Week. It wasn't the right national. It wasn't the, you know, so much heat, you know, with the interviews also. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Uh, a couple of things that you've done a little bit recently as well. Um, you were just recently on Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, you were on the Dynamite Kid episode. Now, I don't want to go over the Dynamite Kid story because I know you've told it a million times before and you've talked about it. But I'd like to talk about your experience with Dark Side of the Ring. How, how was it? How was the process with that? And then, you know, kind of after watching the whole episode and, and seeing what everybody said and hearing that, what's kind of like your final thoughts on the whole ordeal? Because, you know... Well you know, thank you, Tyler. I, nobody asked me that question that kind of way. And, and, and you're making me feel great about myself. And uh, so did Dark Side of the Ring made me feel great about myself because uh, I had a lot of people that didn't like me in the dressing rooms for, for different reasons. For one reason, like, uh, like when the guys would come to wrestle in Canada, they'd look at the booking sheet and they'd say, oh, no, not Canada again. Because every time they came to wrestle to Canada, they, 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 uh, they couldn't bring any drugs in. And then plus uh, they lost 40% on the dollar, you know, like, you know, when they made a thousand dollars here, it was $600 in the States, but us, it was the opposite. We made a thousand dollars in the States. We'd come back home. It was like 1400. Yeah. You know, 
So, so a lot of the guys didn't like that. So I had a lot of heat. And another time in the dressing room, uh, one guy, uh, I'm not going to mention his name, he, 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 in front of all the boys, he said, uh, because me and Raymond and Dino and Martel, we're speaking French. It's our native language. It's easy for us. And, and, and we're speaking French. And he went in front of everybody and says, hey, why don't you speak fucking English here? And I looked at him and I said, screw you. Look, you like, you know, why don't you tell that to Pedro Morales and Tito Santana when they're speaking Spanish? You know, yeah. or, you, know you know, if you have a problem with that, then it's your problem. I'm not talking about you guys. It's just a, so I always took I always took offense when people would degrade Canada or Quebec or my language. And, and so a lot of guys didn't like that because I spoke up to them and I said I said my piece because it was so important to me. And, and so so a lot of the guys. What happened when dynamite hit me from behind and a week later I made my comeback. You know, a lot of people were spreading wrong rumors. Like I heard that the, the two Rougeos beat up the dynamite, which is bullshit. There was two. Yes, it was me and my, my roll of quarters that I had in my hands, but that's about it. And I had to do something that was so horrible because I'm not a, I'm not a fighter in life. I'm an entertainer. So I was put in a position that I was going to become the McFly of the back to the future in the WWF, but they were going to abuse me and everybody. So I had to stick up for myself. So, so a lot of guys were lying about the stories and 30 years later, dark side of the ring, they approached me. And they want to have that segment. And I'm like, okay. So we do, we tape this in maybe in November, example. And it showed maybe in the spring. But for the five, six months, because I spoke for three hours and they only showed like six minutes of it. But for three hours I spoke. And, 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 and I know how you could put things out of context. You could take something that's said there and put it here. And it doesn't sound at all of what I said. Mm -hmm. So for six months I was inside, I was worried concerned but when it came out they really gave me credit for what happened and they really told the truth and and and, and, and 30 years later and, and because i felt such a trauma after that event you know when he beat me up in the dressing room i wanted to quit the business he was bullying he was a big bully and and, and so when this came out now if you look at my if you go on wrestling-academy.ca you have lanny poffo who's putting a nice word in for the contestants but it's so funny he goes like this and he says uh, well, I want to thank Jacques Rougeau, the million dollar punch. You know, and it's like, I go like, no, 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 Lanny, don't say that. Wrong way. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but I don't want to talk about it no more. But, but, it, but it made me feel good because I, I cleaned my reputation, you know, and I cleaned the, the haters and mm. a lot of people that weren't. So now they saw the story. So now everywhere I go, I, I'm almost considered like a hero who stopped bullying. As a matter of fact, so much that when I quit the business in, uh, with Vince, when I started my own company in Montreal for 20 years with my sons, I, I was doing bull. I, I was going in classes in schools. Like I almost did every school in the province of Quebec to, to show the kids in front of six, seven, 800 people at conferences where I would tell them, I'd show them how to stop bullying without using violence, just by being together and helping each other. And now it's amazing because just two days ago, in, in Montreal, there's a big day coming up on the 23rd in Canada. Right. Yeah. It's called the Pink Shirt Day. And, and, and they came and they chose me as spokesman to, 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 to talk. And I'm going to talk to four schools on Wednesday on Zoom. And they're all going to be listening to me. And I'm going to tell them about, about bullying, how to avoid bullying. And, but they chose me as a spokesman. And so many, many great things happened because of that incident that was the worst in my life. But, but I always say, people who give conferences like I did, for 20 years, you know, when I started that, people were saying, ah, oh, Jacques Rougeau's trying to get good publicity in this. They, they were, they didn't know what they were saying. Because the truth was, is I was in therapy. 
Every time I went to give a class and I'd come out and I'd, and I'd help the kids and I'd have some that would come cry at the end, to come see me crying. And all oh, this guy's bullying me. So I go with the, the, the principal and I'd sit down with the problem and I'd fix it. You know, I'd have fun doing that. Well, that was therapy for me. And, and so, 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 so that came out of that, which is really good. And now the reputation that I have for them in Quebec now to ask me to be spokesman for that, it's like, hey, because it's always sick people that help people. It's always someone that got hurt by an incident in his life that's going to turn around. And, and so now people know that I wasn't doing that to get publicity. I was doing that to do therapy for my own little brain that was squashed and my, that I was traumatized out of that thing that happened. Yeah, I think that's what's so good, too, about the Dark Side show uh, is that you got to hear from everybody. You know, you heard from his family, you heard your story. So there's no more what ifs and lies and BS. The truth is out there now. And, and I'm glad that you got your peace with that and, and that you were Thank able you. to turn that around and, and now do something so wonderful with all these, these speaking engagements, because that's a hard thing to do for people. I don't think they realize that. And, and, and you know, if, if people knew just how many before that week where I did my comeback, you know, if, if people would only knew how much this close I came to leaving the business and just tell my brother Raymond, I'm, I'm quitting. I don't want this no more because I'm not this is not the world I want to live in. But I stuck in there because of my father and my father was my hero. And, you know, I didn't want to disappoint my dad, you know, because the Rougeau tradition, the Rougeau family was such a big name. I didn't want to leave like a McFly or yeah. leave like a wimp. McFly. And so it was so hard for me to fight because I'm not a fighter. So I had to go against a bully who's on steroids and who has a reputation that follows him for the last two years of breaking some guys in the dressing room, just breaking them where they quit the business. And that was such a giant step for a guy, a little guy like me. You know, to, 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 so now when I look back at that, I don't know where I found the, the nerves or where I, I, I'm sure it's my, because of my dad, you know, but, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't eat for a week. I was, every time I'd eat, I'd throw up because I knew I had to do a comeback or, or leave with the head between my tail, you know, mm -hmm. the tail between my legs. So, so, um, so it was a big, big, big event in life. And, but now thankfully today I've helped a lot of people because of that. I'm still helping people and I feel great about myself. So thank you, Dark Side of the Ring. Thank you very much. That's excellent to hear. So I'm going to follow this up now. I, this might be the hardest hitting question I'm going to ask you the whole interview here, okay? So I'm just going to give you a heads up. Which theme song do you like better, the Mountie or the Rougeau brothers, because they're two of the best of all time? I know it's a tough one. You know what? It's almost like someone told me, uh, so told me one time, they said, Jacques. Which tag team partner did you like the most? Being with Pierre Carlo at the Quebecers or with my brother Raymond? If we put these two teams in the ring now, who do you think would win? And I answered the guy, said, me. <laughs> <laughs> but, so it's like, if you're asking me which tune I like the most, I love them both. You know, they were different eras. One was more like, a, you know, like a nerds but it was so nerdish and fun and entertaining. But the other one was so like, I'm handsome, I'm brave, I'm strong. It was, which was not, but I mean, it was like, yeah. I, I enjoyed both of them. And you know, and when I go, like I said, comic cons around the world or things like that, the both songs, they come up, you know, a lot. Uh, people like, they seem to like more the fabulous Russo one, you know, of uh, heavy metal and rock and roll and all this stuff. But for me, they were both really good. So if you ask me which one of the, both or which which one I like between the two of them if I answered honestly I don't know <laughs> there's no there's no wrong answer they're both legendary themes right I don't know I because when I was singles 
it was a Mountie. But when I was tag team, it was me and Raymond. So it was like it was it was two different things. But thank you so much for bringing this up because it brings back a smile to my face when I think of these. And, and even we went as far as when we weren't the Mounties anymore, Carl and I were the Quebecers. We had the song, we're not the Mounties. Yeah. You guys got heat from the RCMP, right? <laughs> well, at the point, and this is some subject that I like to talk about, especially, especially in Canada. I think that the RCMP in Canada, they fucked up. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you why they fucked up. Because, you know, how many times in life have I sat down in front of a movie and I saw a dirty cop in the movie? Well, all the other cops didn't say, hey, we're going to ban this movie because you're giving us a bad image. You know, I think it was high time that the Mounties got off their horse, you know, because there's a difference between theater and entertainment and the real life. So when what, what happened is when I was doing my TV tapings, like in the States, everywhere, and, and the Canadian Mounties took a, a lawsuit against the WWF uh, where uh, they weren't allowed to show the Mountie anymore on TV. So when I do the tapings in, in, in the States, well, a lot of times I weren't on the tapings because the tapings that they would do were distributed around the world. You know, so there's only those two tapings. So that so they cost me my job as the Mountie. They really did. And, 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 and Lord knows, you know, it was only entertainment. And, and the funniest thing at the time, my brother-in-law, he was a Mountie. So he's the one who got me my boots, my suit and everything. And he kept telling me the whole time of my running, because I, man, the Mounties, you know, my partners, my friend, they love this gimmick. You know, they, 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 they're just having fun with it. Well, where the, uh, the, the top... Uh, notches or owners of the RCMP they thought they were looking up like snobbish a bit like it's wrestling and and you're giving us a bad image and I'll talk about a bad image I don't know if you remember that first vignette I did you know it was amazing the first vignette I did before I came in as the Mountie character on the road with everybody for five weeks they were showing vignettes on tv like mm -hmm. Mean Gene was sitting with Jesse the Body Ventura on the ring and they'd say hey you know Mean Gene coming to the WWF soon as the Mountie so let's go see this guy so they had vignettes, and, and one vignette was so awesome, I, I still laugh when I say it, and it comes from my heart. I'm sitting on my horse in a park, and this car comes, I'm in Montebello here, and it's in Quebec, so, and, and I'm on my horse, and I got this arrogant look, I got the black glasses, you know, and cocky look in my face, and I'm sitting on my horse in the park, and this car pulls up beside me, and it's supposed to be two Americans, about your age, and the two Americans that pull up beside me, but it wasn't. It was two Canadians. They were just extras. So anyway, they come with this car and they pull up beside me. So the American puts his window down with his girlfriend beside him. And he says, excuse me, officer. Excuse me, officer. And I'm on my horse and I look down. I'm not an officer. I'm the Mountie. So like the guy looks at me like all scared and shit. So he looks at his girlfriend and says, I think I got a wacko one here beside me. So he looks up to me and he says, excuse me, Mr. Mountie. Can you tell me how to get back to the USA? We're lost. So I look down to him and then slowly I put my leg off my horse and I get off slowly and I get in front of his window and say, come here. So the guy looks at his girlfriend, his girlfriend says, come on, get out. So the chicken, you know, he's afraid to get out. So anyway, so he follows me and I say, come here. So I bring him in front of my horse. And when I get in front of my horse, I pick my horse up like this, the mouth of my horse, the whole mouth. And I say, you see that part of my horse? That always points to Canada. Come here. So I start walking towards the back. And when I get to the back, I lift the tail of the horse up and you can see the ass. And the camera's right in that big nugget, the big donut. And it's right there. And I say, you see this part of my horse? It always points to the USA. <laughs> 
that's <laughs> absolutely amazing. The, Mounties, the big bosses of the Mounties didn't appreciate my hospitality. <laughs> 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 so that was just amazing. That was, that was funny. Oh. And that, that vignette went around for five weeks. And, and I remember when I first started the gimmick live, my first three towns, Spectrum in Philadelphia, the Boston Gardens, and Nassau Coliseum in, in Long Island. And those were the three roughest places. We'd go wrestle in the gardens there, and they'd have a bob wire around the, the ring because people were throwing stuff in the ring. But, but when I got to the first time where the ramp of the hockey players in the back of the building go down, it was still outside. All the fans at 1 o'clock in the afternoon or 2 o'clock, they're all lined up to see their, their superstars arrive. And the first time I got off, I got on the car and bang, and I start bleeding. People throwing rocks at me, Jeez. you know, like, and I was like, shit. So, so for about a month, I had real cops bring me to the building, <laughs> you know, because I had too much heat. They, they just didn't have a sense of humor, I guess. Oh. <laughs> but, but, but what, a, what a great time. Oh, what a great time. I think one of the, the best matches and <laughs> one of the most famous matches you had is the Mountie, obviously SummerSlam 91 with the big boss, man. Can you share some big boss man stories? I, I haven't had the chance to speak to anybody that's gotten to work with, with Ray, the boss man there. And I would just really? love to hear what he was like as a person because he was such wow. a great worker. You know, night after night, we'd get in that ring with that big old 300 pound guy and he would weigh a feather. He would take care of you. He would lie you down straight. He would hurt himself, make sure that you weren't hurt when he put you down. We had fun, and, and, and I was pretty much the same kind of guy. I was brought up in a third generation of wrestling where you learn basics before start to run. You know, in the ropes, you learn how to protect your opponent and stuff. So Ray Trailer, not only that, he was like an Owen Hart. He was a guy that was always laughing, always having good times. Me and him were like this, and we, we, we wrestled around the world for, like a, for, for building up to that fatal match there where I was – collecting wins and and he was coming around the side looking at me and then he'd collect wins and i'd go around the ring pointing at him like and then then the uh it was getting closer and closer where we finally met for the, the and, and, but what a great great lord rest is you know uh how do you say that rest the uh, well, rest in peace rest in peace, rest in yeah. peace. you know he but he was one of the nicest guys in the business i never never seen ray trailer have an argument with the wrestler in the dressing room. He got along. He was so kind and so nice. And then again, he had that toughness in the ring and his character, but that wasn't him at all. And, and if it was, I never met him. I never met that side of him. He was a, he was a great, great guy. Oh, that's so, that's fantastic. And not too long after that, you know, you and uh, Pierre formed the Quebecers. You're winning the tag team titles a couple of times, which was fantastic. Highly entertaining run there with Johnny Polo. Kind of question I had though is when I was doing my research, I noticed a real quick title change that you guys did with Men on the Mission over in Europe. Was that something that was planned for like the? You know, we uh, we actually won the titles three times. You know, we beat the Steiners and we beat the the, the moms and we beat the one two three kid with Marty Janetti. and we did some switches like that. A lot of times they'd switch them back, but within that year we were three times tag team champions within a year and a half. And but the greatest thing about the Quebecers was. Uh, the first night that we came in, the first, first night in Manhattan Center, uh, we took the belts. On the first, first night in a no-DQ match, uh, you weren't allowed to go off the top rope and stuff. They had the Quebec rules. The Quebec uh, province and, rules, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was like, but we became champions on the first night, you know, and, and wow, you talk about our, our, our notoriety, just boom, just go up because, you know, hey, for then it was fun because, 
they were seeing us on TV every week, come with their belts on. So even if we were heels and stuff like that, we had a great, we had great maneuvers as tag teams. We had taken like five months in my backyard before coming to WWF where Carl and I, Carl, Carl would drive an hour and a half from his home to come to my house and, and we practice three, four times a week these moves, like the big tower I did when I yeah, held the them up on the rope. And can- no, not the cannonball. He, he, he'd give me his hands, and, and then he'd do a handstand. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I'd have him land. But I had to, to judge. And so we had a dummy in the ring for five months where not a person, now a dummy, like a real dummy. And, 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 and we'd have to practice. And I'd have to make sure that the top of his shoulders landed exactly. Because if I made his ass land on the guy, he was 300 pounds, Carl, I would have killed the guy. And, and although I think we killed one or two, but, but, <laughs> but, 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 but not by purpose. But it was like, uh, so, so, so those maneuvers we practice and we, and we use almost every move we did him and we, we need to be two. Like the leg sweep, he'd run the ropes for a clothesline, but I'd be on my knees. And as soon as the, 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 the clothesline, would, I would sweep the feet off from underneath him. And we had moves, I'd slam him. I used to pick up Carl, my own partner, mm-hmm. and body slam him on, his, on my opponent. So we practiced moves that were completely different. It was like a di- when we came in, they were saying it's a different era, almost like the Bulldogs when they came in. They were they were so spectacular, like demolition when they came in. They were so spectacular, and and so you had some teams that so trademarks that were different than just a wrestler tag team match, and and so that was amazing. Uh, the Quebecers, I had a, a great time with Carl. It's crazy that he's still going at the pace that he's going at now, and he's totally reinvented himself again with this PCO character. Like, oh man, tip of the cap to what he's doing right now. He's, he's a tough son of a gun, I'll tell you, because, uh, he, you know, I've seen him in matches to take bumps over the top rope and land on a cement floor. And and then and, and he was like Gumby, you know, that little green guy there. He just boom, 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 get right back up like nothing ever happened. I was looking at him like, holy shit, this guy's not going to last for 10 years in the business. And now he's 50 years old and he's still going and he's still doing this crazy thing. So, so power to him, power yeah. to him. Well, you know, I, I kind of want to keep on the top of Carl there, and I want to kind of merge it in with a, a building that must be very special to you. You talked about a little bit earlier, the Montreal Forum. You know, you guys packed about 16,000, 17,000 people in there, and you had your brother Ray in the corner, and, and it was versus uh, Carl and Johnny Polo in his corner. You came out with the Queen entrance music. Uh, can you kind of take us back to that night? It just seemed like it must have been a real special night for you. Well, when we had WrestleMania 10 with the moms and, and we had this uh, screw job from Vince to me where he promised us for four months that we were going to beat the moms at WrestleMania. That's what was our big falling out of me and Vince, actually. And when we got the one hour before the show and we were we'd been beat everywhere, everywhere in the world, Carl and I, like by even middle guys, like one, two, and we, it was hard on us. But then they kept telling us, don't worry, guys, because when we get back to WrestleMania 10, you're going to beat the moms with your, your, your big move and you're going to get all your recognition and your, your street value back up. So but an hour before the match, we uh, we were told by Pat that uh, Pat came to see me and he says, uh, he says, Jacques, he says, listen, he says, uh, we're uh, we're thinking about doing something just a little different, the DQ or something. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, because, you know, he says, if we beat the moms tonight, he says, what's going to be left for them? And I was saying, well, I don't give a shit. I like the moms. But for four months, we've been squashed by middle guys, you know, and stuff, because you told us that we're going to win our credibility back. So that was our falling out. So then I went to see Vince in the dressing room. And I said, Vince, I said, up to where do you have me booked? So he took his big book out. And for two months, I was finishing Israel, I think, in Tel Aviv. So, So I said, "Okay." So I said, don't book me after that. I said, I'm finishing there. But I said, I'll have one more match, 
with Carl Montreal. So so when we we dropped the titles, because we had won the titles by DQ, we kept the titles. I said, when we dropped the titles to so the head shrinkers, I said, uh, I, I want to do something in Montreal. I want us to drop them. And I want Carl to turn on me, you know, once we... And so, so that was my thing, and it was like my goodbye match with Carl. But then again, I quit with Vince, and and we took all the time in the world. We bring the we brought the ring up behind my house again, and we prepared one of the greatest matches that singles that Montreal has ever seen. And and, and and because it was script for five months, we had time to really polish it and work it every week. And so when we got to that match and there was 18,000 people in that place and it was supposed to be one of my retirement matches. I had three of them. So anyway, but, you know, I didn't know passion was so hot in me. about wrestling. But anyway, <laughs> And, you know, when I'm pissed off, I'm pissed off. When I'm disgusted, it's like it's the end of the world. Me, It's like it's black, it's black. There's no gray. It's white or black. And at the time, I was convinced it was my retirement match. And, and so all this to say that uh, that we had that great match and Carl came up with this finish that was amazing where uh, he, he, uh, he, he goes to give me like a, a reverse, almost like a tombstone, like uh, Undertaker used to do, except I used to start, when I was up there, I started shaking my legs and shaking my legs and he starts going back with me like this and my feet go and reach the ground and I pick him up in a reverse pile driver. And I beat him like that. Yeah. And people went nuts. And, and uh, people really went crazy. And that was considered one of my greatest single matches in, in Montreal. So, so that was amazing. Yeah. And perhaps maybe your greatest singles match in Montreal might have been a couple of years later against Hollywood Hogan. That was a big Ooh. night as well. Uh, you didn't see Hogan doing a lot of clean losses at that time. How, how did this all come to be? Is this kind of, I've heard stories that Hulk really is respectful of the people in their hometowns and really likes to give them that extra push in their hometown. Did being in Montreal have something big to do with, with you and Hulk doing business together there? You know, I think it was a combination of a few things. Uh, I was always a professional. I was there for 10 years opening shows for Hulk many times. And, 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 you know, a lot of people don't know this, but they always think the main event is the most important match of the night, but it's not. The most important match of the night is the first one. Because if you go out and you have a great first match, people are into it. So it just builds. But if you put your first match out there and it's a shitty match, people don't believe in what they saw, then it takes two or three matches for them. So I think Hulk... Had, he was, had respect for everything we'd done in 10 years. I, I also think that the fact that I stopped the bullying with the Bulldog, you know, because he lost a lot of friends, Hulk, that were, that were bullied by the Bulldog and just quit the business. And, and he was afraid, too. He never said it, but everybody was afraid of the Bulldogs because they were on drugs and substances and steroids and drinking and, and all this mix. They, they were pretty loud, plus obnoxious. So, so I think in somewhere Hulk was protected because he was the icon and everything. The Bulldogs never messed with him. But I still think that he was hoping that his day would never come. So, so when I stopped the bullying, it completely stopped. And he knew what, what it took. So when I had my match in Montreal, and plus, I was the one who brought WCW to Montreal. My lawyer, uh, Cookie Lazarus, he put 250000 up to, to get the publicity, to rent the Molson Center, the whole building. And he was all behind. He got a TV deal for TBS, you know, for, for WCW in Montreal. It was our first. And then we were opening the first show. So, so Eric Bischoff and, and was the boss of WCW. But Hulk was the boss. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. There was two bosses there. Like there was one boss, but Hulk, he knew he was 
He was the man, NWO. He was at the prime of his career with Razor Ramon and Diesel and all that. They were really hot with the NWO. So I think that there was an ego thing between them too. And, and, and I thought there was a little problem in the, with between them. So, so I just came in and I offered to Hulk. I said, hey, Hulk, I said, I have an opportunity to get you guys on TV. I have an opportunity to bring you into Montreal, which WWF had the exclusivity. And it was a little bit of a vengeance for me too. And, and, and I said, the only thing I'm asking, I'd like to work with you. You know, I, I wanted to be this, the legend, the match of the legends, the Quebec legend against the world legend, you know? And then, and, uh, and he said, yep, I'll do it. And when he said, yes, I freaked out. And then when we got to, to, to Montreal, he got into the dressing room in front of everybody, all the boys, the Harlem Heat, Ric Flair, Dean Malenko, all the guys, the big guys were there. And, and he says, uh, Okay, boss, what are we doing tonight? He says that to me. You know, I'm looking at him like, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> you know, that's really funny. <laughs> and then everybody was laughing too. And then he says, I'm not kidding, brother. It's your show. I said, what are we doing? He says, how do you want to beat me? Wow. And then I went like, you're very funny, Hulk. You're very, very funny. I got to give it to you. You're very funny. He said, I'm serious, brother. I said, okay. I said, uh, you're serious. He says, I'm serious, brother. I said, okay. I said, well, uh, why don't you beat me up the whole match and I'll just small package you at the end. <laughs> I want him to look so good. And, and, uh, and, and, and then I came upon that. And I remember after that match, we were in the dressing room. When I came back out of the match, I just got the win, the clean, the clean pinfall on him. No gimmicks, no nothing. There were no ropes, no manager, no nothing. And, and I got back in the dressing room and there was none of the boys left in the dressing room. They were all gone. Like they didn't want to see it. You know, they didn't want to see me because a lot of guys wanted to beat Hulk before me, you know, and they didn't have the chance. So it was like, I guess that's what it was. So anyway, I'm standing in front of the mirror in the dressing room. And then I'm, I'm a little swollen up a bit. We had a little rugged match. I think he must have changed his mind when he came out because when I came out, I had 99% of the people booing me in my hometown. I didn't expect that. That went over my head. And then when he came out, NWO and everything, it was a riot. So I'm sure when he was getting all this ovation and stuff, he was probably saying, what the hell did I do <laughs> to say that I was going to get beat by this jabroni, you know? But anyway, so 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 the rough, the match is pretty rough. And, and then when I got in front of the dressing room, I'm looking at the mirror like this, and he walks in, and he comes in, and he and he says, you okay, brother? And I looked at him and says, yeah, you okay? He says, yes, sir. So he turns around to walk out. I said, hey, Hulk. And then he turns back around and says, why'd you do that? He says, uh, he thought maybe I was thinking about being stiff a bit. <laughs> but I say, I wasn't talking about that at all. I said, why'd you do that? He looks at me and says, Eddie Oje, Johnny and Jacques Rougeau, Raymond Jacques Armand Rougeau. He says, everything that the Rougeau brothers and the Rougeau family did in Montreal, he says, that's why I did it. Wow. And, 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 and what a great man. But, but I also then remember Jimmy Hart coming right after he just came right after Hulk left, and he says, Chalk, he says, it's not true. He says, because what you did to the Bulldog. <laughs> but Jimmy Hart told me that, you know, and not Hulk. But it was like, uh, so there's a mix of a lot of reasons, I think, of co coincidence, timing, him being pissed off at Bischoff, or whatever it was. There was a bunch of things, a bunch of factors that made it, that my notoriety went from here to just like that. So every time I was doing a promo, every time I do a conference and everywhere, I always brought the footage of where I beat Hulk Hogan, the biggest icon of wrestling. So, that, so I used it, I used it, and I overused it <laughs> because it was such a great thing that happened to me.
That's incredible. Uh, I want to be respectful of your time here. So I'm going to kind of start wrapping up, asking my last couple of questions here. Um, when I was doing my research again for this, is it true that you guys had a dark match in the WWE with you, Pierre, and Raymond all teaming together? Is that something that happened? No? No, because Pierre didn't exist when me and Raymond were there. Yeah, that's Pierre, right. Pierre, when Raymond left the business, I became the Mountie. And then after the Mountie, I quit. And then we became the Quebecers. Carl was just wrestling in Puerto Rico. Okay. He was wrestling some more or indies like that. And he'd been trying to get in the WWE for 10 years. And then, and then he came to me and he asked me, uh, I was on the beach that day. I was wrestling Abdullah that night in the main event. And he was in the first match. And he came to see me in the beach, tapped on my shoulder. And he said, uh, uh, hey, Mr. Rougeau. And he says, my name is Carl Ouellette. But he said it in French. So I look at him and say, hey, it's pas français. And then he looked at me and said, so we start talking. I hit it off right away when he's starting to speak French. He's a guy from my home. And then he says, I'm just going to ask you one thing, Jacques. He says, could you watch my match tonight? And I said, sure. So I got into the building and I was on late. So I didn't even dress up yet for my suit. I went to see his match. I was so impressed. And then when he came back at his match, before I started dressing for my match with Abdul, I told him, I said, hey, listen, let me get home. Give me four days and call me back. He says, I may have something for you. Because on the beach, he told me for 10 years, he's been sending tapes, try to get into WWF. And almost like I'm saying to you about my wrestling academy, where, where, where I've been at the right place at the right time and knowing the right people, you know. And, 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 and so, so, so I told him, I said, call me in four days. And in the meantime, when I got home, I called Vince. And I'd been off for like six months, eight months. So I was ready to get back on the action. So, so I called Vince up and I said, Vince, he says, yes, yeah, I said, uh, I think I got something for you. I said, I'd like to come back with this guy. He's a great, great talent. And I think me and him, you know, he's French or French. We could do something really good together. And that's when, about three months later, or five months later, because we practiced for five months in my backyard, I called him up one day. I said, hey, Vince, I think we're ready. So he says, okay. So he flew us in that taping at the Manhattan Center. And on the first night, we took the belts against the Steiners. The first night. So, so what a change of career for Carl, too. And the rest so of Carl... Story, right? So Carl was never in the business before when I was the Mountie or when I was the Fabulous Rujo brother. So it's impossible for us three to have worked together. I thought it would have been a cool moment if all three guys could have done something. Oh, together. yeah. It would have been uh, cool if we had a five against five. Yeah. You know, me, Raymond, uh, Carl Ouellette, and Dino Bravo and Ricky Martel. <laughs> yeah. Ricky, Ricky Martel. Can you give us a quick Ricky Martel story? We're huge fans of him on the show. Yeah, but he's everybody should be a huge fan of him. I mean, what a great athlete! What a charismatic he, uh, he, uh, he, he was just a great athlete all around. He did so much with AWA, I think, or with uh, the Greg Gagne and Vert mm -hmm. Gagne out in Minneapolis. And he was champion there, world champion in that federation. He and what a good looking guy, you know. I was always jealous of that guy, you know. He looked so good, you know. I said, yeah, I was always saying to myself, if he had my talent and I had his looks, boy, we'd sure make a great wrestler. You know, and because, <laughs> because but, but I was, you know, this is my thought. But but I'm I'm saying that uh, if I would have had his looks, you know, with the way I worked and think, I think I had a bigger push because he was just the girls were just freaking, you know, they they just loved him, you know, and uh, him and Tito Santana even that was short, long lived, but it was uh, they were called the um, Strike Force. Strike force, that's right, and uh, and but they the girls were going nuts. They both had white. Tights, beautiful tans, beautiful bodies. You know, so, so, so yeah, Rick Martel for me was a, was a great, one of the greatest talents that we produced in Quebec. 
And of course, I, I can't have you on here without talking about another legend from that time period, the boss, Andre the Giant. Any any great Andre stories? Maybe maybe oh, after man. hours with Andre? No, not after hours, all day long. Because, you know, me and him, there was only a few guys. I don't know if you know the game of cribbage. Yeah. You know, where you, you, you peg 15-2, uh, 15-4 and all that. And, and my mom had taught me when a very young age, but very young people knew that game. It was more like the old, old timers that knew that. And, and Andre was one of the best players. And when I saw him play one time with Arnold Stolen, uh, I'd, I'd seen him through my whole career because my father was a promoter. So he'd come and wrestle Montreal and he had these folk friends. So, so everything clicked with Andre. He always liked me. I used to go get his hot dogs in the dressing room and popcorn. And he saw me from a kid. And then I met him on the road when I went, like I was saying, to Kansas City, to Pensacola. He'd come in like Flair. They'd come in once a month for the big main events and stuff. And, and, and so Andre, we had an appartenance together. And, and it's like, so So apart from that, when I saw him play cribbage with Arnold Skolan, the agent, Arnold Skolan, and then I told Andre one time, I said, hey, I'll kick your ass, you know, in crib. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so we started playing. And man, we were competitive one another. So what would happen is like every time that we had, we'd fly 25 days a month. So every time we were flying on flights, he was always in first class, but the seat beside him could never be sold because he's so big. You know, he was taking almost uh, one foot out of the other seat there. So they never sell the seat beside him. So every time we take off, we were always in economy, all the boys, the jabronis there. But up front, you know, he was in first. And it was so funny because every time the flight attendant would come in the back and she'd say, Jacques Rougeau, Jacques Rougeau, I'd say, yes. <laughs> okay, you're asked up front. So I'd, so I'd fly first class <laughs> and we play cribbage, <laughs> you know, me and Andre. So, yeah, he was my great, great partner of cribbage. So so I, I, I love the guy. I always loved the guy. Unfortunately, he didn't love himself anymore at the end. And he was very upset with the way people were looking at him like, ah, look at that monster. Ah, look at that freak. And, and finally, I think it caught up with him in the bottle. And he was starting drinking in the morning. We'd get on the flights. He was very... Um, he was mean to the people sometimes. I didn't like that because I was always so good to the people. And sometimes I'd be playing Crimson and then somebody would come up to him just for an autograph. Very so polite to excuse me, Mr. Andre. Gonna get lost. I'd go like, okay, oh shit, oh shit. You know, I felt bad because it's not like me. But he was miserable. And he was tired to be pointed out like a freak and like a monster. So I think he just put a cage around him like a, and he got into his own world. And But, but, but me... Souvenirs of that man, you know, I have so many. I could spend the whole podcast on telling you stories about him, you know. And then, uh, but he was a for me, he was one of my great friends. Uh, that that from my young age, four years old, all the way up to when he passed away, I was always uh, the greatest respect for that guy. That's incredible. That just means we're gonna have to have you on for a part two sometimes to hear more of these stories, right? <laughs> I enjoyed your podcast. Thank you very oh, much. That's so good. And- I was going to say, Jacques, I I can't thank you enough for the time. And I think I can speak on behalf of pretty much every wrestling fan that's ever seen you work that we need to see in the WWE Hall of Fame. So let's do what we can to make that happen, because, you know, you're you're one of the greatest performers of all time and your family, especially from us over here in Canada. You know, the Hearts, the Rougeos, the Vachans, all legends. and, And it's just been such an honor to get to talk to you. Before we wrap up here, please, again, talk about everything that you got going on and your social media, where we can find you, about the Wrestling Academy, everything. Thank you so much, uh, Tyler, and I appreciate that so much. You're so kind. But I got to tell you about the Hall of Fame. I, 
I think that everybody I work with for months and months and years, they're all in the Hall of Fame. And I think that Vince, if I had a message to send to him, if ever it gets to him, it's like, uh, Vince, you shouldn't choose your Hall of Famers by the relationship personally you have with them, but by the talent and what they gave to you in the business. And, and, and on the other hand, I want to just on a positive note to tell everybody, go on wrestling-academy.ca and, you know, I used to see when I follow the voice a lot and stuff and I see things on, on YouTube. And it's so funny because I always hear at the end of an interview, please subscribe and press the button. And I'm going like, oh, God, leave me alone. And now I'm the one doing it. <laughs> so go on wrestling-academy.ca, subscribe, and you'll be able to get the notifications. And when we start this in May, you will be able with your phone to text in and vote who you want to keep and who you want to leave. And of course, it's a, it's a national competition. It's from everybody in Canada. You have a bunch of your folks. We've got 12 guys and girls coming from Ontario, which out of the 42. So subscribe to wrestling-academy.ca and vote for them and keep them alive and, and, and keep this whole project alive. Absolutely. And we're going to be pushing this really hard on our website as well. So you can check that out there. Uh, once the show starts up, Mike and I are going to be talking about this thing every week. So maybe we'll reach out and get you back on for, for I'll be there for you guys. I'll perfect. Be there. Perfect. Well, again, Mr. Rougeau, we cannot thank you enough for joining us today. Thank you very much. It's been a, a really fun time.